0: Hi, and welcome to episode 29 of Talking with Painters, where Australian painters talk about their life and art. I'm Maria Stolter, and my guest today is James Drinkwater. He's a musician, singer, songwriter, a poet, and a sculptor, but of course, he's primarily a painter and one of the most exciting contemporary artists creating work in Australia today. He's only 33, but he's had 20 solo shows across Australia and in London, Singapore and Berlin. He's been awarded the coveted Brett Whiteley Travelling Art Scholarship. He's received the Martin Bequest Scholarship, has won other art prizes and has been finalist in many others, including the Sulman and three times in the win prize, including this year with his wonderful painting, Passage to Rangli Art. We talked about everything from what influenced him in art as a child in Newcastle to his time overseas and the fascinating stories behind two of his win finalist paintings. You just have to hear the story behind the imagery for his painting, the fabulously titled Encrusting the Marvellous Heart. I met up with James in Newcastle and although I knew before we met that we were both born there, we figured out that we actually grew up in the same suburb of Hamilton South, almost 20 years apart, of course, but pretty strange coincidence. As usual, the paintings we talk about are on the website talkingwithpainters.com. I really enjoyed this conversation. I hope you do too.
1: My name's James Drinkwater and I was <laughs> born in Newcastle.
0: So what's your earliest memories of, like, art when you are a kid?
1: Uh, my auntie, my cousins grew up around the corner and she she used to paint at her kitchen table little um, landscapes from calendars or photographs or memory. And we'd just be tearing through the house playing tips or whatever, or marbles or whatever kids did back then, or on our (laughs) roller skates or, you know, all those things we shouldn't have been doing through the house. And um, she'd just be sitting, smoking fags, listening to Paul Simon or... Jethro Tull or yeah. Allard Jones in like, all those British choirs and, and just sort of um, working on these really, really sensitive, sincere landscapes. Mm. And she had then, so I think the first entry point for me was to sit up and look through the, the monographs, the art books she had there. So she had books on the French Impressionists and the Australian Impressionists and a bit of post-Impressionism and the Fauves. Oh, okay. and so for me that just was, it opened up. A whole new sort of realm,
0: and you and were attracted to yeah, and the, her start. there
1: at that table with those books, yeah, with the cup of tea and the cigarettes and the music, and yeah, I suppose a, it was my first exposure to an art practice because it was a practice. It was something that it was a discipline, something she um, certainly maintained. So yeah, it was a portal for me, and I went, "What mm. the hell is this?" I was really yeah. toned on by it.
0: So your parents weren't uh, painters? No,
1: right then, I grew so? up in a, pre- a relatively creative house. Mum played piano and was always in local theatre productions and my sister's now a drama teacher and dad's into literature. And oh,
0: okay. So yeah. it was like,
1: yeah, it was all, it was all like into music and yeah. the arts, I suppose, loosely. But um, I, I suppose then I taught mum and dad or brought them over to v- the visual arts and now they're really real enthusiasts. So, yeah, that, that, with my auntie, that was the first, that was the kind of um, where the whole thing was impregnated. Mm, mm. And so there's, there's three sort of factors in Newcastle. There was that, mm. conception, and then uh, another friend's mother put us into a holiday art clinic. There used to be an art school in town called the Ron Hartree Art School. I don't know if you're familiar with it or not. Looked over the harbour in an old warehouse in the city. Mm. And he did adult painting classes, life drawing and all that stuff. But he also in the whole school holidays did holiday art clinics for kids. So a friend's mum put us in for two weeks, you know, of tie dye and coil pots, all that sort of stuff. And I just took to it like moth to a flame. And when we went back to school, I said to my mum, do you think I could keep going back? I really, really like that place. Yeah. So I started going after school. Yeah. And then Ron Hartree, who ran the school, said to mum, I think James would probably enjoy the Saturday afternoon painting class, which is like teenagers to to adults.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: I was about... So I was ten, about that stage, eight or ten or something.
0: Oh, right. So you were the, by far the youngest. Yeah, but just into it, really into yes. it. Not,
1: not that... I don't think I necessarily displayed any particular gift or anything, but he was just saw the enthusiasm and said... James should come along and
0: then started oil painting and... and so, that, so what sort of things were you doing there? Like just... Oh, landscape of, yeah, and Exercises, like, like yeah, still just life?
1: Yeah, picking a picture out of a book and copying it. And yeah. Still life, painting the beach that I go to and...
0: Yeah, so representational stuff. Representational of stuff, yeah. Yeah.
1: And then he said to Mum, I think James would really benefit from life drawing if you guys were open to it. And drawing the nude. Mm. And Mum said, well, if you think so, because we'd had a rapport and a relationship with, with him by then. Yeah. A, and an a element of trust.
0: <laughs> right,
1: yeah. So I went along to this first life drawing class on a Tuesday night, the mo- <laughs> surrounded by adults and everything, and the model came out and she had her robe on. And I thought, oh, thank God, she's not going to take her clothes off, because <laughs> I was petrified. And we did, <laughs> you know, all the... Wa- For whatever reason, I've never really seen this before. I mean, since. But we did all the preliminary drawings, all the quick drawings with the robe on. And after about five quick poses, she just dropped the robe and my heart just dropped. But, you know, by the end of the class, I was covered in charcoal and you just (laughs) let go.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Bit awkward the first time it is to totally be. totally because you're in a situation where you're with a whole, whole lot of other people observing this person yeah which is very unnatural so yeah of if thing. you haven't done it no that's yeah. right so I can... and you sort of feel sorry for them i remember at first when Did i you? first started like drawing i used to feel well the main reason i felt sorry for them was because i thought they were getting that must have been very uncomfortable
1: oh with the long poses yeah, and yeah.
0: And I used to think, oh, Absolutely, I used to yeah. think to the teacher, I thought, oh, does
1: the teacher know? Do they need a break? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Are they cramped? <laughs> anyway, mm. so that so, was. Um, so
0: what was that like? Like how That was amazing, you...
1: and I continued that from the age of ten till the age of eighteen for two nights a week. Right. So I really kind of call that my training. Yeah, yeah. It was so vigorous, you, felt... you know, six to eight hours of life drawing a week for eight years.
0: Yeah, and it was serious, religious. and
1: then and... painting on a Saturday afternoon. Yeah. And then the third part, when I spoke about three parts in that sort of trilogy or whatever, yeah. was a gallery in Cooks Hill called Anne Von Berto Gallery. I don't know if you remember oh, okay. Anne. It's right near the Newcastle Art Gallery, and she yeah. was another portal for me as a young boy interested in painting because she had the kind of luminaries of the art world would come through her gallery that otherwise wouldn't come to Newcastle came because of Anne. So she showed all the Boyds, Judy Kassab, uh,
0: right.
1: the Percivals,
0: yep.
1: you know, that kind of pedigree. Mm. And I remember as a boy being, you know, Judy Kassab would be reading from her diaries at Anne von Berto's gallery. It was in an old stable, horse stable, oh, wow. and um, cobbled floors and brick walls. Oh, and yeah. um, I rode my push bike from mum and dad's from Hamilton to Cook's Hill. The chain broke at the junction. I threw the bike in the bushes and ran. Got there and sat around with all these old dames and they all had cups of tea and I had a juice and <laughs> I sat next to Judy while she read from her diary. So oh. Newcastle really delivered for me as a mm. boy interested in, in art, in painting. Mm. So they're and So did
0: you, you, did you have a connection with Anne as well? Like, did she know you? Yeah, no, she'd, yeah, come in, pet. You know,
1: by <laughs> then I was a part of the furniture because I'd yeah. drag mum in there all the time. And
0: you didn't have friends who were interested in the same thing? No. It's so interesting. So you were no. really driven.
1: Really, yeah, and I think as a as a kid, the youngest of four, I probably liked being a bit different too. That was probably part of it.
0: Mm. And did you become a special
1: thing that's just mine?
0: Yeah, and and you that became part of your identity, I presume. at that age. Yeah,
1: Yeah. 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 I remember thinking it from a very young age. I want to be a painter. Oh right. So there's those three things: my auntie, the Ron Hartree Art School, and Anne Von Bodo's Gallery.
0: Yeah, and so how did so after you finished high school? Uh, you went to the National Art School. Yeah. Was that a nat- Was it, Did you know you wanted to do that?
1: Oh, I knew I wanted. To, I thought I wanted to go to art school. My high school art teacher, um, Penny Buckley, was amazing too. And she she went and printed the and you know, printed the um, application forms off and got me to fill them out and posted them off formally to National Art School. And oh. she said you should really go to this school.
0: So, yeah, but so she I, was I went
1: incident. she was great and it, the National Art School was amazing but I was I was 18 going on 15 I I just wanted to be in Newcastle so I only, only lasted a year
0: oh right not
1: because of, for no fault of the art school but mm. just my heart was here I was in love for the first time uh, everything was here
0: oh so and you're yeah, yeah so I felt right. really
1: torn I was li- living in Surrey Hills and I was never quite there and and I've, like a lot of the things we did, like still life in tone, in greys and blacks and whites, and ingredients and life drawing, a lot of it, um, I was sort of like,
0: oh, I've done this. Mm. Mm. So yeah, you had done so much drawing. Yeah, and it was such a that. I had yeah. such a
1: vigorous sort of ten years that mm. it, a lot of it was like, oh yeah, no, this is great, but oh, I've actually done that. I've done it. like not that I didn't need to do it again. Yeah. But um,
0: so what did you do in? I was ready
1: it? to just. Get a studio and paint. That's yeah, all I want to do. Yeah. And go to the beach.
0: <laughs> and is that what you did do when you came yeah, back? Yeah,
1: I came back and a family friend gave me their garage and I went for it and put on my own show here in Newcastle. Did you?
0: How did you organise that? Like, just you just...
1: Oh, we're on a camping holiday and James wants a studio and some Oh, geez, he you can use my old shed or something. And, oh, brilliant. And then they had the Newcastle Art Space, the art, Community Arts Centre had a actually really beautiful gallery space. And you had to apply, which meant bring in, bring in five pictures and the, the ladies at that time just stood around and said, yeah you're, you're, yeah, you're all right, we'll give you a show.
0: And how was that? How'd it go?
1: It was great. It sold out. <laughs> it was great. Wow. I had a little bit of money in my pocket and I could yeah. buy more paints. And, mm.
0: and were you doing sort of abstract sort of work back then? That,
1: that was work? my first foray into abstraction.
0: Right. And so, but you didn't end up staying in Newcastle. What happened?
1: I joined a band.
0: What, and we in all, Newcastle? In
1: Newcastle, yep, at about, I mean, I always sort of played in bands since I was 15. but
0: um, What, guitar or?
1: Guitar and singing. <laughs> oh,
0: okay.
1: And we decided at, I think I was about 20 or 21, we decided we'd move down to Melbourne and give it a shot down there. So I played music for about four years and, and then I met Lottie and then yeah. she, she saw some of my paintings and she said, why aren't you painting?
0: So you oh. met Lottie, your wife, Lottie Consalvo. Yep. You, you met her when you were in Melbourne. She's,
1: she's a Melbourne girl, so yeah, I met her at a, at a party at her apartment in St Kilda.
0: And um, so were you, but were you painting while you were in the band? Yeah. In Melbourne?
1: Yeah, i so always. So you had a studio? Yeah, like if, we lived in many share houses, so I'd take the garage or, or take the biggest bedroom and have a studio on one side or, right. I always fed, the, fed that desire to paint. I knew I couldn't let go of it completely.
0: But but had, it, had it taken a back seat, really, at that Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, that yeah. would be fair, it did. Right. Because I was labouring during the day, practising in the band every, almost every night in the living room and playing gigs wow. on the weekends. That and sometimes like a lot of fun. Yeah it? yeah, it was great, it was actually amazing. <laughs> I, was, I think I was in Melbourne for a good year or so before I met Lottie.
0: So, so you met Lottie, and so how did that change... What
1: you you doing? Well, we met at a party in her apartment. By the
0: way, I don't know if I mentioned Lottie is a, is an artist as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Um, met her, at, as I said, at, at a party at the end of a tour that we'd done with another band. And the after party was at Lottie's apartment in St Kilda. And we just sort of got along really well and started talking about painting. And she was a painter too. And mm. um, we were both sort of in other avenues and wanting there was this obvious yearning to find our way back to painting. Her father's a painter, so she grew up with it. And mm. um, she was dragging all these por- portfolios out from under her bed and <laughs> I was showing her things on the internet that I'd done. And oh. and uh, I think I just I, I just, I grabbed a board or something and did a drawing of her or something. She's like, why aren't you painting? I said, oh, I don't know. And she said, well, you should be. And so we started going life drawing together uh-huh. down at the Gasworks in... Is that Elwood or something? Oh, yeah. Then I moved in her flat and then we got a warehouse and we were married eight months later. And the warehouse was really defining because we we had space then. Yeah. And we could spread out.
0: So you think that makes a difference, having a lot of space?
1: Yeah, Yeah, well, it did then. We needed to sort of... Because although we'd both done a lot of drawing and um, training finding your own language isn't a whole other thing. Mm. Finding a style and all that exploration just is quite demanding of time and space. Mm. So that was important.
0: I understand you you did a lot of travelling together as well. So how did that start off?
1: I was still playing in the band, but very much making that journey back to being a full-time painter. And I was looking through an art almanac book magazine and I saw this little black and white photo of a house to rent in Umbria oh, in Italy. Right. And I said, Lottie, we should do this. <laughs> and she said, well, that's a bit more tricky than that. You're in a band, You've we've both got jobs, we've, you know, yeah. we've got a lease, we've got a car, we've got... And I said, oh, come on, let's just go and have a chat to the agent, the travel agent down in... We were living in the western suburbs then, so down in Yarraville. Yeah. And within... Half an hour, I was pushing, pushing Lottie's credit card across the table because <laughs> I didn't own a credit card then. <laughs> She's like, "What are you doing?" I said, "Book it, just book it. We'll go."
0: Oh, really? Yeah. So you went to Italy? Mm. Oh, so we right. moved to
1: this farmhouse.
0: What was the what was the plan? Was there to, a plan? The
1: plan was to live there for a year, right? And paint and cook. Yeah, but I think we, after being there for two weeks, we after he'd walked the village, it was very rural, right. And after walking the village, you know, every day and doing all that, yeah. um, we realised we may as well be in rural Australia in in many senses. We may as well uh, be right. in Maitland because we just felt that isolation. Well, both I was twenty four, she was twenty two.
0: Yeah, I suppose going from Melbourne and yeah. being in a band,
1: neither of us had travelled Europe, and we went, oh, what are
0: we doing? right right
1: Um, so it's quite isolated so it was quite isolated which I think now at this point in our life would be great but it was a bit premature to do that so we confronted the landlord and told him we were going to make rather than a year's lease we would do two weeks (laughs) and he was actually surprisingly cool about it and um yeah we took off and went through Italy and visited friends in London went to Paris that both places were wonderful but felt very expensive we were very cautious of um, making our money, our savings, last as long as it possibly could Mm. so we could paint. Mm. Um, And through word of mouth on trains and buses and in the street, um, people kept saying to us, you guys should go to Berlin, you'd really like Berlin. And neither of us had contemplated it or heard about it as a melting pot or a good good place for young creators to go to, but it turned out to be just the perfect place for us.
0: Oh, what's it? So we
1: arrived one night in autumn and got off the train and the first thing that happened was someone came up and said do you need a, do you need help and it was just like such oh, so, so lovely and warm really? the whole thing was just oh we're home wow and we stayed there for three years yeah
0: so so what did you do when you were there
1: um we met a guy florian in a bookshop who was a printmaker who had a a good-sized flat in Neukoren, which was on the old Tempelhof airport
0: Oh yeah.
1: And he said he was going to San Paulo for 3 months to to draw and make prints. Yeah. would we like to rent his place. And I think it was 170 euros a month. So Lottie Lottie took the room down that end, I took the room down this end and we met in the middle for for lunch every day in the kitchen and
0: So the so bed was
1: in my studio and it was amazing. Oh. And that and we painted just so vigorously 7 days a week.
0: That must have been a great time for your relationship as well. it was
1: yeah it was the first time we hadn't had to work jobs I Mm. think I got a I got the Martin Bequest scholarship somewhere in the middle of all that I'd had a relatively good show with Damien Minton and in Berlin you didn't need much money so it wasn't a huge amount of money that we had but at that time and place you could make a little bit go a long way
0: right so you came back now I think one of the most um, important parts of your career has been being awarded the Brett Whiteley Travelling Scholarship. Yeah. That that was an amazing achievement. Congratulations mm, thank you. on that. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and actually, I don't think I've ever mentioned on the podcast for people who don't know much about it, but it's a pretty major um, award. for uh, It's for under 30s, yep. isn't it? Artists, yep. under 30? Yep. Um, and it, does it involve like a three-month stint in Paris and then three months travelling after that? Is yeah, that what it is? Yeah, that's right,
1: yep. What yeah. was Paris like? No, Paris was like, Paris was everything I had hoped it would be, plus a bit more. Yeah. But I'm optimistic. I'm, everything's going to be that bit better than what I hope it's going to be. Like I went, we went to, I'm getting ahead of myself, We went to Tahiti recently and something I really want to do because of Matisse and the, the French Polynesia and all that gauguin that connection. Mm. And someone said, what if it's not what, if it's not what you think it's going to be? And I said, don't worry, it's going to be exactly what I need it to be. You know, I'm, I'll squint my eyes and it'll be precisely what I need it to be. So, right.
0: Is that because you, you're you looking for uh, the beauty? You sort
1: of romanticise something and looking for the beauty and that pursuit and you, you know you're going to find it somewhere. It's if it's a, not in nature, that, you'll find mm. it in things you find on the
0: ground or... Is that in by... the people or by sort of consciously um, not noticing the, the sort of negative stuff? Oh, no, I think it's what other people would think is negative. I don't... I,
1: it's all beautiful. Like, I think it's flipping that hole, flipping that... Uh, there's going to be, you know... The negative things could just be things that are tragic about a place, which tragedy has its own strange beauty about it.
0: I remember seeing that video <laughs> you did that when you were in Berlin... Uh, was there was that? a short video of you talking about. I think it was Berlin. It was yeah. Germany, definitely. Yeah, yeah. And I was struck by the fact that you were just to, you Everything around you, you just saw the beauty in it, mm. and you like just the trees and the
1: yeah and S-
0: every grass it, scum on the ground. And, and I, I just, thought, yeah. I want to be like that. That is a great way to go through life. Yeah. <laughs> That that's a real gift. Is that something you've had all your life? Yeah. Even yeah. as a child. I think
1: I'm lo- I was the as I said before, I was the youngest of four. And I my mother my mother says I walked into the world assuming everybody would love me, and therefore they did. <laughs> <laughs> but you look at you you can tell a young man who's been loved by his mother. And I think I was very loved. Mm. And so therefore my outlook has been optimistic. Things would always work out, and even when things sort of turn turn bleak, you can you can turn that into something beautiful too.
0: Yeah, right. And that um, is my
1: particular gift, I suppose, that I, I well, look through that lens.
0: Well, I think it's quite a rare thing, actually, mm. and I think it's a it's a great quality to have. Um, so,
1: so back to Paris.
0: Yes, yeah, so going back to Paris.
1: Bizarre thing happened on the way to, We were on the platform at the Central Station um, to get on the airport line to go out to get on the plane, and we couldn't get a hold of Lottie's mother. And I was just, I just didn't feel right that we hadn't said goodbye. So, I, without sort of saying, making a fuss, I kept trying the home, home phone back in Melbourne to see, you know, to get a hold of her to say goodbye. And finally, <coughs> one of her mother's friends picked up in hysterical oh, oh, Rosalind she's in life support she's had a, <gasps> her bowels have erupted and
0: oh my god she had
1: um yeah a perforated bowel and oh god so it was just so dramatic and I waited till we got on the train and I told Lottie what had happened she was just in total shock yeah so we very quickly had to make a decision what we were going to do whether we'd both go to Melbourne whether mm-hmm. I'd take our son to Paris or whether she'd take him to, or whether I'd go to Paris. And we were already two weeks late for the scholarship because Lottie had just done the um, residency with Marina Abramovich. Oh, yeah. And so for that reason, we were late already. And Lottie just said to me, you go, go to Paris, because if you don't go, I feel like we'll, we'll, we'll never get there. <laughs> you know? yeah. You're at least starting it for us, you know, because Paris meant a lot to us at that time. We'd been through... We've been through a lot that last year, so it it presented a lot of... It was very important for us that trip Mm. to just put that line in the sand and move on Mm. from a couple of things. Mm. Um, And, yeah, we decided that Lottie would go to Melbourne with Vincenzo, with our son, and I would go and set up in Paris, and they'd come as soon as they could.
0: Mm. So that was literally on the way to the airport?
1: Yeah. So we've... Then we're at the airport, repacking our bags... Absolutely hysterical. I was just sobbing. We were both sobbing the whole time. Our son was wanting to play superheroes. He's making sp- us <laughs> all put our swimming goggles on and they're <laughs> all foggy with tears. And <laughs> it was just so devastating. Oh. Partly because her poor mother, what she of was course. going through. But this, this other thing of this trip that was presenting so much to us was just oh. going to be completely different. Yeah. So I cried the whole way there the whole way to Paris I cried basically but I had independently independent of the scholarship I had a exhibition lined up in London for September which was the end of the Paris
0: yeah I was gonna ask you about that yeah with a
1: art dealer over there who
0: how did that happen
1: she's Australian woman who's been living in London for 30 odd years and loves the arts and she watches the city and Australian artists that are coming yep. and if she sees someone she likes she says would you like to do a show and um, she has a few spaces she can use in East London oh, so she's done it with Adam Cullen and Jasper Knight and people right. like that and would you be interested in doing a
0: Yeah and a I understand show? it was a sellout Yeah it was, yeah. God, so, so in other words you could use that residency, that three months to work towards that. That's right, yeah
1: so that I think that was what was unique goal. about my experience there, yeah. that I had a reason yeah. to um, invest in a lot of materials and big
0: stretches. And what, were, stretches you, what and, were you working on? Like what body of work were you... Oh, it was just all about Paris. Okay. Yeah. And so how does that work? Like, So would that be from I your just, day-to-day experience of being through the streets? Yeah, just go, just go walking and, and,
1: and also acknowledging the history of the painters that I love that have been there and um, reappropriating all those... Um, classic scenes of bathers in Paris and the marketplace and the squares and I sort of became very enamored by the um the homeless communities and the beggars and they'd sleep on these on the cold days and nights they'd um, colder because it was summer but <laughs> they'd sleep on the vents because the heat would come up from the mm. and all these with the, all the pigeons around and these strange beautiful altars of very sort of um, noble people, in a way
0: when you draw on that, would you start with like i mean, because your work is quite abstract, do you start with a, a, represent, a representational sort of um, shape or figure or something like that? Uh,
1: well, that was a point when i 'd been trying to introduce the figure into my painting for a couple of years, but had had until that point not had little, very little success, so I really took that opportunity to be in Paris as, as, a, um, as a catalyst to really push the figure and bring it in to the work in a far more explicit way. So um, you know, but, but in, in regards of how I start a picture, it's different every time. I don't really know. I just get going. Yeah. Lay down a colour or maybe I will draw in a figure or yeah. a series of flowers or well, something I've just seen. Or
0: well actually, let's talk about one of your paintings in particular. This year, you're a finalist in the win prize. Congratulations. Thank you. With a, an absolutely brilliant painting, which I saw a couple of weeks ago. Um, it's called Passage to Rungli Rungliot. It's huge. Yeah. I, it's a great... It's a big picture. It's a big picture. It's like over three and a half metres yeah. wide, yeah. and it's about 180, I think, yeah, high. Cool. Yeah. Um, it's got the lovely primary colours like, you know, red, blue. It's got mm. orange. Mm. Uh, first of all, James, can you tell me what is Rungli Rungliot?
1: It, it means thus far and, and no further. It's an Indian um, term. My gallerist in Sydney, Ralph Hobbs, his in-laws, his father-in-law and, and mother-in-law, have a, have a hut up in the Tasmanian Highlands. And they, he, they grew up in India. So um, they've built this, this pioneer's hut, really, it looks like and oh. called it rungly rungly out because it's their eden they've found that's their paradise thus far and no further oh. they don't need to search anymore because it is paradise it's in a um, situated right in the highlands and a a forest of young sapling gums on the water
0: it's oh, just extraordinary
1: wow. ralph and i go on a lot of drawing trips together because he has a, an art practice as well yeah. as well as being an art dealer and so we're always excited about the next trip we're going to do and he said oh we've god we've been talking for years about getting up to the highlands he said you won't believe it it's just beautiful so um
0: and is it like a hut it's
1: it's a hut yeah with solar power and a generator and
0: right and so what what were you doing there when you were actually there so um
1: i work in a very when i'm drawing in situ and on plein air i work in a very as a rule of thumb i work in a very intuitive way so i just kicked i had 10 meters of French paper and i put a brick on one end and booted it across the the forest floor and put a brick on the other end and just went for it. We had the um, Rolls Royce of drawing materials and and using the earth there and glue and sewing f- pheasant feathers into it that I'd found. And, and then I'd te- see that one passage was looking like it might and have enough to... Um, to be an image on its own so I'd tear off a section and become a work on its own and and in the end I think I walked away with 10 really large drawings paintings I go absorb make some drawings works on paper which has a very low risk element to it you're just going for it documenting the experience bring it back let it distill and compress the whole thing have a few days off and then just um, launch into a have all the surfaces ready and launch into a a big body of work in in oil, oh, wow. so with that paint with passage to runglirungly at that that painting, the only idea I had about that was I wanted to i was thinking of maps maps a lot because my son was into pirates and treasure maps and things, and I thought i'd love to do a kind of multi perspective part aerial part ground um, view of the experience in that, in that place, in particular when, because it was middle of winter and it can be very grey and wonderfully bleak, but it's, that painting, I particularly wanted to illustrate that, that moment when the sun creeps out from behind a cloud and bursts onto the landscape and illuminates the entire thing with really stark shadows for about five seconds and disappears back. So that's why I would use a lot of golds and oranges and, oh, and yellows. and I'd never understood an art, a painter that goes to the studio then leaves it there and comes home. It's all one thing for me. If I'm making, if I'm cooking dinner, if I'm bathing the kids, if I'm making the bed, if I'm painting out here, if I'm walking down the street, if I'm at the beach, if I'm in, it doesn't always have to be exotic places like Paris and Tahiti, it can be the village down at the shopping centre, you know, it's yeah. all... It's all work. When I learned that about myself, that there is no beginning and end to my practice and that what I want to say as a painter, that's when I found total freedom in, in what I wanted to do.
0: Do you find that living with another artist encourages that even more?
1: Yeah, absolutely, because we're like, we're like a cut, you know? Apart from the fact that we're in love, we're also like a couple of roommates who are really into the footy or something <laughs> or punk music or whatever. We're total devotees to to aesthetics. So we're just constantly riffing ideas and and that never gets boring. And we have our studios separate but together on the same block. So we have all this lovely overlapping of what what we're looking at or, oh, I found this. Have you ever seen this? Or what do you think of that? and yeah, so that's, yeah, that is. Yeah, I think if I was married to someone that was in, you know, a doctor or something, I might, it, there might be more of a divide between home life and work life. But mm. No, for that, I think that does play a part, yeah.
0: yeah. Um, can I take you to mm. talk about um, your process and your techniques? Because I would like to um, direct every listener of the podcast mm. to the YouTube clip of um, the band Holy Holy who have, have done yeah. a music clip of you painting. And I think it's called This Message. Is it called This uh, Message? Yeah, that,
1: This Message or That Message. That yeah. Message, yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. And it's basically a few minutes of you Painting. Now, mm. I don't know if you did half that stuff just for the video, but I could not believe it. I thought, and I think everybody should watch it just as a lesson in how to let go. If you want to let go in your painting technique, just watch this. I mean, you are going, doing everything from, like, flinging paint from yeah. about two metres away onto the surface, mm. you know, obviously doing things like spray painting and... Um,
1: Cutting out things with the saws and...
0: Yeah, that's right. So,
1: screwing and gluing. and
0: Yeah, like taking a piece of timber, screwing it on with like a um, cordless screwdriver cordless or whatever it is, yeah. drill. but with a lot of sort of spontaneity. Yeah. Um, and the thing that I really found really interesting, and I've never seen this before, is where you've got, the, you've got this painting you're working on against the wall, so it's hanging on the wall, and then you've put a mirror against the wall so that it's reflected into the mirror and then you stand on this mirror and you start drawing i think with charcoal by looking into the mirror so it's not only far away but it's backwards
1: so, yeah that's right
0: i mean do you this is i, I was just so inspired seeing the, the yeah. these techniques is this how you work from day to day yeah
1: it's like what i said before you just go into a space and you're available to what's around you and if i s- I've used that mirror for 10 years as a thing hanging around the studio and suddenly it became its function became very obvious to me. I yeah. can I can never go into the studio and do the same thing I did yesterday. And I have objects like mirrors and things I've found on the street and I keep every old paint br- I never throw out a paintbrush when it's dead, you know, like old pot, pots and old pots and pans and platters and Plates that I've used as a palette for five years then get stuck on and... I've always thought that a, a good studio should operate like a good kitchen. Everything gets ground back down into a stock. You know, you, you waste... This... Very little goes into the bin out of this studio. Like, I've... even all the rags I keep and um, date them and archive them. All my pallets I date and archive.
0: Yeah, we were talking it's about that. I suppose that. it's a sickness. Well, no, I love it. Can I just talk about your palette for a sec? Because we were looking at it a second yeah. ago. It's a, it's a piece of plywood, basically. Is that yeah, what just, it is? Yeah, off Large Mason piece oil, of yeah. plywood. And you were just using this one for your Tahiti. You were saying for your Tahiti paintings, uh, yeah. paintings yep. that we've done recently. Yeah. And they're just beautiful colours. And I can see why you would archive that, because it is a representation of that time and
1: place. Yeah. yeah. What a great... Journal entry.
0: Yeah. It's you know, great. It's sort
1: autobiographical.
0: Of and so you keep the rags as well.
1: Yeah, I do, yeah, because I, I have this sort of idea of one day in twenty years or something, finding a space somewhere and putting the pallets of the last ten years in chronological order and just seeing that shift. And also in the in the rags. I think right. it'd just be a wonderful way of looking back yeah. on that period. I I rec- I think I believe I could look at each palette and know, and know what was happening at that time. Probably as um, descriptive as if I'd written about that time. Because as I think in colour. Mm. That's how I view the world.
0: Well another thing I saw in that video was that you were using um, yeah, even tiny brushes and I thought, <laughs> I couldn't believe that, thought, and palette knife.
1: My art teacher in high school always said to me, vary, vary your mark, vary the way in which you make marks. So whether that's a small brush, large brush, medium brush, a palette knife, a shovel, anything to make marks, that that variance will be far more interesting for yourself and the viewer.
0: But also it's it sort of... Stops you from um, getting too tight, you know. Yeah, that's right. Too obsessed with that's
1: right. With the painting. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um,
1: it's an exercise in letting go. Yeah. And just being, being really open to it not working. if it doesn't, you just paint over or cut it up and put it into something else. Yeah, exactly. When you or, lose that, yeah, inhibition. Was that, it,
0: well, and also you you use a lot of collage. Mm. I noticed. Yeah. Um, that must help as well. In sort, well, because you can just put something, a piece of something, on top and see how that works. Yeah, and you, can, and you can take it off. Take it off. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's like um, Conrad Marcarelli, the New York collage painter from the '50s school of abstract expressionism. Always said it's it's about cancellation. If if you just start a, an image with a a, a grouping of forms—it somehow has no value. But if if you come to those forms through a process of cancel cancellation and investigation, somehow they have meaning. It's a really strange thing. There's that alchemy that's hard, so hard to explain. What <coughs>
0: but do when you you're, mean, what do when you mean? you're
1: canceling, when you're laying things on and and then canceling them out, what the result, the outcome, somehow has more meaning than if you just place those shapes there from the beginning. Yeah. So if the outcome is a triangle, a square and a circle, for argument's sake, yeah. if you start with those shapes without cancelling something from underneath, they have no, for me they have no value or importance. But if I've come to those shapes through investigation and a journey and a passage of labour and cancellation and layering over and over and then you come to those shapes, somehow... For some very strange reason, there's more reverence and meaning to those shapes. So the layering process is pretty important mm. to you. Because you're conversing with yourself and talking to yourself about what you've been looking at for the last 15 years and translating your your life experience. And, then, and that's and a conversation that... In, Oh no! I didn't mean to say that. Oh, you know, I meant to say this. You know, Mm. Um, yeah, that's right. That's that's the point I'm making. And that's when that's when a a work is finished when you feel like you've made your
0: point. Yeah, I was going to ask you when did you when Mm. is it difficult to come to that? Not anymore. Not anymore. Right. And do you find that you work quickly? Sometimes. And sometimes you, it
1: takes ages
0: <laughs> right, so w- w- when you say it takes ages, you would keep working on the same work or you might put it aside and come back to it.
1: Yeah, or have, f- have fifteen things going at the one time mm. or mm. then one might one might occupy you for two days.:
0: Yeah, and what about um, your sort of routine if you have one? Would you be able to walk into this studio and just I could start now could you mm?
1: I think it's because I have a theme. There's always a there's always a theme that's been developing forever, but there's it's always at a point in the in the story that I'm wanting to talk about in my story. And mm. I know it's right there, it's ever present. So I, t- to flick that switch is really easy now, especially after having kids, like you don't have time to.
0: No. Well, actually I was wondering whether that makes it harder to get No, back it into made it. it
1: easy for me. Did it? Yeah, it did the opposite for me. It made it the 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 limited time you have, you have to really use it, Mm. or it's gone. You get two hours, maybe, like, how much have I got today, are you? Because we both have a practice. You have the morning, I'll have the afternoon. Invariably, it gets hijacked by family or something. Yeah. So you end up having this little window, or you come in while you're brushing your teeth and think, oh, I might just (laughs) have a go. You know, quite honestly, like, the kids are asleep, I'll go now. So you have to just be able to turn it on. It's been four years since we had Vinnie. I couldn't do that before. I used to have to go, clean the space, turn my music on, get in the vibe, you know, like yeah. have a coffee, come around, place things around. Yeah. Because now you've it got doesn't this matter.
0: unlimited and time.
1: Yeah. And and I think <laughs> that urgency is really, really a wonderful thing to harness. And yeah. going out into the desert or the Tasmanian Highlands or whatever, and painting in situ, I've transferred that urgency into to that experience too, because you have limited time and yeah. with the weather and um, all those variable factors out there. Yeah,
0: actually, can we talk about the desert? Because mm. I was really interested in seeing that painting that you were um, uh, you became finalist in the Win Prize in two thousand fifteen, which was called uh, "Encrusting the Marvelous Heart." Mm. Can you tell me a bit about the meaning of that?
1: Yeah, I can. Um we we arrived in Alice Springs and we hired a troopie, hired a four wheel drive and drove for I think it was about six hours west. And um the weather was really brooding and we were painting all day and you could feel the the sky um compressing and building these black clouds and all these wild horses started circling our campsite letting off screams and it was the most remarkable visceral experience mm. and we were sleeping in so swags noodles nowhere. Noodle nowhere yeah um, sleeping in swags under the stars and um, the sky opened up and all these um, jewels appeared you know all the stars in the sky and it was a really strange night because the, um, the two guys that took us out there were, were very very aware that the weather could change any minute and if we, if we needed to, we had to get in the cars and go before the rain got in and, and turned everything to mud because then we'd be stuck out there. So I was having, you know those nights where you have that really really light sleep and you're kind of half in a dream state, half, in, half awake. It was really hot and humid and... Um, Little drops of rain were coming ever sparsely and um, cooling off your toes or whatever. And I was sleeping with no duvet, just under the under the elements. And I had this kind of strange—I don't know whether I was how much or how asleep I was—but I had this dream where um, where my wife and my son started circling my swag. <laughs> almost like spirits because was, that was the first trip I'd done away from them when we had our first son. So I was kind of really um, I had this compass that my father-in-law gave me which was very symbolic because I tur- I'd turn it to home and face them and talk to them yeah and I had this kind of strange part dream part manifestation of them circling my circling my swag and then they opened opened up my chest opened up my rib cage and let the contents of the sky fall into into inside my body and all the stars encrusted encrusted my heart like this sort of pulsating bloody wet matter with all these gorgeous diamonds encrusting it and this kind of very strange bit of imagery that came to me. And then they closed me back up and sewed my chest back up and and I could see the the bruises and um and then they sang until the bruises were better and disappeared. And so I, that's that's that was a very bizarre. But was amazing that
0: like a, an uplifting experience? It was, yeah, was, it was. Yeah. yeah. It's like a spiritual. Story. Yeah,
1: and I, cause because I wrote so many songs and stuff, I and because I've made so much dealt with abstraction so much, I think often am thinking in abstract poetic terms. So it wasn't, a, it wasn't, it was a very beautiful, peculiar thing, but it wasn't something I, it was quite, um, it felt pretty normal for me to be imagining something yeah, right. so bizarre.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so you weren't disturbed or anything. So I wasn't disturbed by it.
1: But I was like, oh, gee, that's great imagery. And that, that, yeah. that'd be a good, and the Marvellous Heart would be a good title for that series. If, if for the series of paintings that comes out of that, so the, the,
0: the word heart wasn't really Central Australian. No, but then it
1: plays on that too. Yeah, Absolutely, sure. it, it's a nod to that.
0: Yeah. Right, yeah. right.
1: The marvellous heart being the centre of this country and, and it's... Um...
0: Yeah, and that, that painting too, that was, it's, it's a diptych, isn't it? Really? Yeah. Would you call yeah. that a diptych? Yeah, 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 So it's two panels um, and uh, it does have that dark, uh, you know, yeah. sky yeah. sort of yeah. reminiscent, but of course quite abstract as well. Yeah. It's a beautiful work, yeah. beautiful Thank work.
1: Thank you. And um, we did, actually, we did have to get in the car at about 4am and oh, did get out of there because it, the <laughs> rains came in a big way.
0: Yeah. How have you found coming back home to your hometown?
1: I love it. It's such a good life. It's a great place. Yeah, it's a I great love place. Newcastle. It's, um, there's very little distractions. The un- and the only distractions are the beach and good distractions like that, which are good for my work and my life and my family and stuff. Yeah. Like I'm not. I don't have that pressure of going to openings and working the scene or anything. Whatever that means. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and then when you do go to Sydney, people just think you've gone out. You've just been away for coffee. You know, everyone yeah. goes, "Oh, how you going, man? Good to
0: see you." <laughs> like, no well, you one, get the best of both. Worlds, you do, not yeah. Far from Sydney, like no, you it's do a, a day brief, trip, yeah. easy. Yeah,
1: it's good. And here I can have a good studio and a house and.
0: And there's a great art scene here. And there's a good too, scene
1: here if you want to if you want to tap into it. But, yeah, but you can be yeah. very you can you can have a very private existence as well.
0: Yeah. Well, James, it's been an absolute delight to meet you today. Thanks so much for allowing me into your studio My and pleasure. for sharing your thoughts and your work. Um, and um, it's been a real privilege.
1: Thank you. I hope it made some sense, <laughs> of some use to you. <laughs> it sure did. Thank you very much.
0: That was James Drinkwater, everybody. You can go to the website for links to things and people we talked about in this episode, as well as details of upcoming shows and events that James is involved in. Um, and if you get a chance, get to the Art Gallery of New South Wales and have a look at his great painting in The wind. And while you're there, you'll probably pass a painting of James and Lottie in the Archibald, which was painted by Jonathan Dalton, and that is really worth a look. Also, I didn't have time to talk to James about his absolutely brilliant poetry. And so I urge you to go to the Nanda Hobbs website um, where you can read some of his poetry, which in my view really enriches your experience of looking at his visual art. Also, don't miss that um, film clip of Holy Holy called That Message, which is, uh, you know, which shows James actually in action, which is just riveting. Thanks for all your comments on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter and for the lovely reviews on iTunes and Facebook. It's really great to hear from you all. Also, don't forget I've got a YouTube channel, so all you have to do is go to YouTube and search Talking With Painters playlist and you can see lots of clips of of guests from the podcast. Also, I'm trying to keep posting every two weeks, but sometimes I might be a few days late, so I'll try and keep it under three weeks, Uh, but um, sometimes life gets in the way and I just don't quite finish it in time so hope you can join me next time for the next episode of Talking With Painters
1: I don't sort of go out there with any idea like we're going to the desert this coming week and my head's just vacant I can't wait to go there and absorb whatever's going to happen this time